If you've been tracking with us for a while as a church, then you would know our vision as a church is for the whole congregation to work together to see those outside of the church come or return to faith. And this is something that we've been really trying to press into as a theme this year. And uh, one of the elements of that, which is not going to be the main thing we camp out on today, is the fact that we believe in forming strategic partnerships with other ministries here in town that are on the front lines, sharing the gospel with people and loving on them. And, uh, and yesterday I had the privilege of being at the Pregnancy Center Gala that took place. I got uh, given some free tickets for my wife and I to be able to go. And uh, it was a phenomenal event and uh, just moving stories of how God is using Helen and the team at the Pregnancy Center to be able to minister to women dealing with unexpected pregnancies and abusive relationships and post-abortion trauma. And, uh, and the way that they've been able to speak hope and love into these women lives and, any, and their spouses or husbands' lives as well often. Um, and so I just wanted to say thank you to Helen and the team and everybody who was there from Auburn last night to support them in that. And I uh, wanted to say if you can next year, it's worth checking out because it was a phenomenal event. So uh, yeah, that was great. Alongside that, alongside partnering with organizations like uh, the Pregnancy Center here in Peterborough, one of the real tasks we've been pressing into is trying to equip everybody here to be able to go and share their faith in a relational way because we believe that this task of sharing the gospel with the world, of seeing those outside of the church come and return to faith, is not the exclusive property of the, the, the clergy. It's not something that only the, the pastors and elders here are supposed to do. It's something that we all need to be engaged in because it is a task that's far too big for even a small number of people. And so we want to be giving practical equipping. And this spring, we've been working our way through a series on First Peter where Brent has been delivering messages on the text and trying to help us understand what it is that Peter was speaking into his context. And then alongside that, we've been stopping occasionally for some practical teaching on how is it that we can go about giving this message of grace in a relational way that really reflects the gospel, that God loves us and that he forgives us despite our sin and our rebellion and that we can trust him and enter back into relationship with him through Jesus Christ. And, and really, this message of the gospel, which we've been celebrating here through communion and through the words that we've spoken already here today, is the core of why it is that we come together and, and really the core of what it is that sends us out into the world is this message that God loves and he forgives and he redeems people and that he wants to bring us back into relationship with him. And, and internalizing this is a really important element of our faith. And that's something that Brent has pressed in on the last couple of weeks that he's spoken is that really the way that we find the courage and the boldness and the excitement to go and share the gospel is because we've internalized that gospel message, that we understand our salvation and that we want to share it with others. And, and internalizing it, I think, Brent has made clear, is a process of knowing our scripture and of praying regularly and walking in that relationship with God. And that happens to dovetail really nicely with where I wanted to go with some practical teaching next. Uh, and it's really building on this theme that I've been pressing into as we pause periodically to talk about what does it look like to witness relationally. And I've argued that we should engage in neighboring, become good neighbors so that we can love the people around us. And we should pray for them and we should serve them with the gifts that God has given us. And that's part of promoting the gospel. And then we should proclaim the gospel by sharing our testimony by sharing the gospel, and by being able to answer questions that come our way. And so this is, this is something that we've come back to repeatedly throughout the spring. spring. Again, if you're tracking with us, you'll know this. And, and today, I wanted to camp out on this question of praying. Okay, if we're supposed to pray, then how do we do that? Because we recognize this is not necessarily an intuitive thing for everybody in this room. Now, now when it comes to this topic of praying, I think it's something that we talk about a lot. 
We, we, do, we do bring it up a lot. And it, I think really, again, if we were to say two things that we come back to the most regularly, it would be read your Bible and pray. And I think if it, it, hopefully we're the type of church where you hear that message an awful lot. And it's even something we kind of romanticize. Right? I put up an image of kind of hands on a Bible with the cross in the background. And, and, and kind of we have, when you do a Google search of prayer, we have this image of prayer that's very romantic, very beautiful, very picturesque, right? And, and, and we love to talk about it in the church and see it as this momentous thing. And yet, in my ministry experience, I find that it is often very intimidating for people. That it's something that people struggle to practice with any sort of regularity. And, and especially those who are newer to the faith often come away saying, I don't know how to even begin doing this. And those who have existed in the faith for a long time say, well, I do it, but it's kind of dry. It's kind of boring. I'm not sure really that I'm doing it right because I don't, I don't really get out of it what I, I think I'm supposed to get. Now, why is that? I think maybe it's because of the fact that we've just set up false expectations with all of our nice picturesque images and stuff. I think sometimes we have made it seem like every time you pray is going to be this momentous experience on the mountaintop, right? Uh, or, or, or we have this image of people wrestling with God for hours upon end, you know, Martin Luther sitting in the morning and just coming before God for three hours and, you know, the quotes like, hey, when I was busier, I had to pray an extra hour just to make it through the day, things like that, right? And maybe those are false expectations, things that, that are not really the norm in people's experiences, though, of course, it is within the realm of what Christians experience. Maybe it's because of the fact that we're afraid. You know, there, there is a risk when you enter into prayer. There's a risk that God won't respond the way that we would like him to. And we need to kind of own up to that risk, right? Any relationship involves vulnerability. You're placing trust in somebody else. And prayer is really placing trust in God. And that's a vulnerable experience sometimes. And so maybe we hold back partly because we're afraid of what might come about if we do it. Right? Maybe it's better to kind of say, I'll take the, the easy way out and just not set my hopes up for failure rather than engaging in prayer. Or maybe it's because of the fact that we just don't have a lot of good equipping on it. Uh, and even in Scripture, the reality is that it kind of takes for granted that people know how to pray. And that's because the scriptural authors existed in a time when communities were a lot more tight-knit and traditions were a lot more prominent in the community. And so a lot of the time, they just expected that people knew how to pray. It was, it was kind of the reason for praying that seemed to be the primary focus of scripture. That there was a lot taken on to say, don't do this in a legalistic way. Don't do this in a way that's going to turn it into a rote rule that you have to follow. Instead, do this to really honor God because you love him and to grow in your relationship with God. And this seems to be the biggest theme in scripture. And one author that I love, Richard Foster, says, the reality is that that often we don't bother with good teaching on how to pray because of the fact that we just take it for granted. And so maybe that's something we need to correct. Maybe it's just a lack of patience. That's another thing that I think factors in here, is that we don't take the time to just learn and press through some of the, the harder parts of prayer. Now, I'm going to assume that it's a combination of all of these different things in my message today. I, I think it's probably all of the above to a certain degree, and maybe for each of us individually, it's more or less of those different elements right? That sometimes it is more of the lack of equipping. I really want to do this, but I just don't know how. And others, it might be, well, I know how, but I'm kind of scared because I've received no's in the past from God, and it kind of makes me hurt, and I'm uncertain. Or maybe for some, it is that great big false expectation that they've set up in their mind about what it's supposed to be, and they just, they just can't get anywhere close to that in their regular prayer life, and so it's discouraging. So, so, so maybe it's some combination thereof, or, or one or the other that's the main. Um, but the nature of this type of format, is that I'm going to focus primarily on the equipping element. 
right? Saying that I do believe at least part of our problem is that in the church, we don't necessarily talk about the how of prayer very often, that we talk a lot about the why and we try and push people to pray, but we don't necessarily give a lot of good tools for doing that. And so this sermon, I'm going to really focus on that question of how do we pray? And actually, I'm going to focus on it next week as well. This is going to be two parts that we do this week, focusing on how we listen in prayer, and next week, focusing on how do we speak in prayer. Now, why start with the topic of listening? Well, I think it places intimacy ahead of function in our relationship with God. That by making this more of an acknowledgement that, that we dialogue with God in prayer, it's not just us firing off our needs towards Him. It makes sure that we keep the relationship first and what God does for us second. Alongside this, it places our formation ahead of our mission. That we recognize it's only as I grow spiritually closer to God that I'm able to engage in the mission. So next week, when we talk a lot about how do we pray for others, I want to make it clear that flows from, first of all, the relationship I'm cultivating with God in my own life. And lastly, it it acknowledges our dependence on God's initiative. That, that, That really, we should be waiting for promptings of the Holy Spirit. We should be listening for God's guidance in our day-to-day walk with Him if we're really wanting to be effective in our prayers and in our mission because we recognize ultimately the only reason we have any opportunity to serve others is because of the fact that God initiates, that He gives us a revelation of His love, that He cares for us personally, and that it's out of that relationship, that initiative of God's, that we are able to do any of this. So I think starting with listening and then moving on to how do we actually speak in prayer helps place an emphasis on those different elements. For today's message, what I want to do is ask three questions. First, what does Scripture teach us about this idea of listening prayer? Then second, what tools does the Christian tradition offer us for practicing listening prayer? And then third, how should we respond when we've practiced listening prayer and we've heard something? Okay, so, so what does Scripture teach us about listening prayer? What tools does the Christian tradition offer us for practicing listening prayer? And how should we respond when we've heard God speak? Those are the three things I'd like to address today. First of all, I want to turn to Luke 5, verses 12 to 16, because I believe that this here is one of many passages that shows us how it is that Jesus and his followers and really the scriptural authors at large practiced their prayer life, and and, and we can see the listening and waiting component that comes into it. We're told that while Jesus was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and he touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but said, go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded for a proof to them. But now even more, the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and be healed of their infirmities. But Jesus would withdraw to desolate places, and he would pray. Now, this is a really short, simple passage. It really doesn't go in depth into anything, but I think it is very instructive. It teaches us a few things about prayer that we need to keep in mind. First of all, we recognize that listening prayer should be enough of a priority that we even take time away from important work. That's the first thing that stands out to me in this passage, is, is, is looking at the way that Jesus didn't simply keep on engaging in, in ministry, 
that he had great crowds coming to him because of the healings that he was doing. And he could have spent all of his time standing there praying for other people. God, I want this person healed. God, I want this person healed. God, I want this person healed. And seeing God respond to those miraculously over and over and over again. He had opportunity to do that 24-7 if that's what Jesus wanted. Not only did he take time to sleep, which is a good thing too and something maybe I neglect at times, but he actually, it specifies, took time to withdraw and to go to God in a different form of prayer than he might be doing in the moment when he's praying for people in this very missional sense. Right? That, he, that, he's, that he's coming away from the crowds, coming away from the ministry bustle, actually taking time away from busyness, important busyness, not just stuff that doesn't matter, so that he could spend time with God in this quiet form of prayer. And alongside that, we learn then what are the primary elements of, with, of this type of prayer. It involves withdrawing from business and being quiet. Traditionally, this is called solitude and silence. And, and Christian teachers through the ages have said, this is an essential discipline, this solitude and silence, time away from the busyness of life to just be with God and respond to him as you're able. And that this is life-giving. And we see Jesus built his life around this. And I think we see through Scripture that this is really essential to how God moves in people's lives. That over and over and over again, we see that God speaks and moves and reveals himself to people who are away from all of the busyness of life. Jacob wrestled with God overnight. The two great things that happened in Jacob's life, one a vision when he was all by himself, and then another wrestling with God when he was all by himself. Moses heard God in a burning bush when he was walking away from everything looking for his sheep. Joshua was visited by the commander of God's armies when he was away from the soldiers that he was leading. Gideon was visited by an angel when he was hiding from the people that might hurt him. Elijah was up in the mountains depressed because of the fact that he didn't see God moving. And God spoke to him in this wonderful scene where first he looks in the roaring uh, of the fire and lightning, and then eventually God shows up in a, in a quiet whisper. Mary was visited by an angel, presumably away from people late at night. Paul, after converting to Christianity, actually tells us that he deliberately went and spent years in solitude, studying and praying before he went into ministry because of the fact that he felt like he needed some new formation. And perhaps my favorite illustrative story, the one that Arnie had us read this morning, the story of Samuel, little boy who hears God speaking to him in his sleep, wakes up and runs to the priest thinking, hey, hey, you're speaking to me. And the priest finally says to him, just, just, it must be God speaking to you. Instead of coming to get me, wait in silence and say, God, your servant is listening. Speak, Lord. And I think this really shows us what the stance of listening prayer is. Is this, is this willingness to put ourselves in God's care and say, Speak, Lord. I am listening. And so I think it's a powerful illustration we have here with Samuel about what it is that Scripture is calling us to, what it is that the scriptural authors assumed and encouraged us to practice. And again, I think this is what Jesus was doing in his ministry when he withdrew from the crowds. Speak, Lord. I'm listening. Listening prayer should be enough of a priority that we even take time away from important work to do it. And it's primarily practiced by withdrawing from busyness and being quiet. 
solitude and silence. With that in mind, we've, I think this is really the most of what Scripture tells us about listening prayer. And again, I think you, if you look and see, it tends to be assumed that Jesus and his followers kind of knew what this was about. And so we lean on traditions that are passed down sometimes for millennia to be able to say, okay, how do we actually go about practicing this then? So then I want to turn to this question. What does Christian tradition teach us about how to engage in this type of prayer with the assumption it really is scriptural based on what we've just seen? There's a number of different major branches of the church. Maybe the oldest in terms of the tradition of listening prayer is the Eastern Orthodox Church, semi out of Greece and Russia and, and that region of the world, the Mediterranean region. And, and some of the oldest traditions we have are preserved in the monastic traditions and prayers that stem from that particular branch of the church. Now, the primary teachings here are really around quieting our mind and our heart alongside our body using specific focusing techniques that we can quiet ourselves and try and focus on God. And that's, that's something that is really central to the way that the Eastern Orthodox Church thinks about prayer. Alongside this, Roman Catholicism has a great tradition of listening prayer. And some of the richest listening prayer material actually comes out of post-Reformation Catholicism, which is really an interesting world to explore because there were people after Martin Luther who were trying to bring about changes in the Catholic Church the way that Luther was in causing the Reformation. And one of the men who was doing that was a man named Ignatius of Loyola, who is regarded by many as a real father, a real pioneer in regards to this art of listening prayer. And the goal was really to help people get back to that personal relationship with God rather than simply depending on the church for your faith. And so he wrote a book called Spiritual Exercises with a number of different techniques for actually engaging in the listening component of listening prayer. How do you listen to God speak to you? And so we came up with a number of ways we can do that to try and invite God to speak into our lives. Within our branch of the church, which is Protestantism, we have a tradition that focuses primarily on making sure that what we do is rooted in Scripture. And I think this is really important and shouldn't be missed. And actually, I'm going to come back at the end to this idea of testing what it is that we're hearing and stuff. Because I think it would be really reckless to just say, hey, dive on in, practice these things from other traditions, and forget about the fact that we need to root ourselves in Scripture. No. No, that's dangerous. The Scripture is God's primary revelation to us about who He is. And anything that contradicts Scripture should not be permitted. And so this is really the focal point of the Protestant Reformation. Martin Luther and John Calvin and Zwingli and others who were pushing back against the Catholic Church saying, you're not really rooting your traditions in Scripture and we need to get back to what it is that God has revealed us here. But alongside that, there has been a real tradition of prayer that has taken place. And again, you look at those reformers and you can see they spent countless hours in prayer. They just didn't take the time to write out exactly what it was that was going on in those prayer times because of the fact that they had other priorities. And so it's, it's really more recently that Protestants have started to say, we need to get back in touch with this part of who we are and, and do a little bit more practical teaching on this art of listening prayer. And two, two men in particular in the last couple decades ha- have, have made waves with this. One is a Quaker named Richard Foster, and his book Celebration of Discipline is regarded as a hallmark of this type of praying and other spiritual disciplines. And alongside that, an author named Pete Scazzaro, who pastors out of New York, uh, is, is one who has influenced me a lot in a book called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And those who are in my care group have, have been part of some of the learning that we've done on that topic. Uh, because, because both these men say, we need to get back to the formation element of our faith. That we need to realize in Protestantism, the, the, the preaching of God's word should be complemented with a robust spiritual life. 
right? And that we need to get back to that. And they, they do some great practical teaching on how to do this thing. And so trying to synchronize some of the things that I've learned from these different traditions, the steps that I would offer for engaging in listening prayer are as follows. And they, they, I really think they're drawing on what you see in all three of these traditions that we've just talked about. The first thing, as we've already touched on, is you need to find a quiet, comfortable place to be alone. That there is really no bypassing this step. You can, you can listen to God in a variety of ways, and certainly I, I have had moments when God seems to be speaking to me while I'm walking on the bu- onto the bus or something like that. Hey, go talk to that person. You know, stuff like that. But, but I think, really, we need to make a practice of withdrawing from business, because if you're constantly in the midst of business, it begins to eat away at your ability to focus and really hear God. And so, and so the first thing we need to do is find a quiet, comfortable place to be alone. The second thing we need to do is quiet or calm our mind and body. You can slow down your breathing. You can sit in a nice posture that's comfortable and is going to relax you. Sometimes you can even use a simple word or phrase to be able to center your thinking. Now, now this is uh, the part that probably causes the most controversy when this gets presented on. It is sometimes it sounds like people are advocating a mantra, kind of like out of Eastern spirituality. That's not what I think Christian tradition teaches, because a mantra's purpose is to try and empty your mind. That's not the purpose of this. The purpose, the purpose is simply to be able to try and put away all of that hamster wheel that goes on in your brain. All of the constant thoughts about, well, what should I eat for breakfast? And what should I do when I get home today from work? And what, what should I say to this person? And what about this tension that's going on in my workplace? And, and, and these things that just kind of constantly speak into our thinking. And the idea of quieting ourselves is to try and put that aside for a little while. And so sometimes you can use a simple word or phrase like, Abba, Father, or Holy Spirit, come. And you can just repeat that a little bit kind of, especially when your brain gets off track, to repeat that and invite God, calm me here, help me focus. Then I, then I always am careful to invite God to speak. This is the Samuel principle, right? Speak, Lord, I am listening. And I ask him to silence any other voices that would compete with his. Because we know there's lots of different voices that are speaking at us in the world, things that are going to mislead us and lead us away from God's truth. And so I try and say, God, silence those things, let me hear you speak to me. Then... The simple pattern is you ask a question, you listen, and you record the first thing that you hear. And you can record this internally if you have a good memory. If you're like me and you don't, it's sometimes helpful to write it down. But you try and keep a record of what it is that first comes to mind, trusting that that is God speaking to you. And then you can repeat with follow-up questions until you feel like you've run out. Okay, I don't really know what else I need to ask in this situation. I like to close by asking God, is there anything else you can say to me that you want to say to me? And then we have to commit ourselves to responding in faith to what it is that we've heard. I'm going to repeat those things. Find a quiet, comfortable place, calm your mind and body, invite God to speak, and then ask him questions and listen, recording what it is that he says. Keep on repeating until you've exhausted what it is you want to say to him. Ask him if he has anything else to say to you and commit to responding in faith. And as you get used to that, it's a very simple process. I know there's seven steps up there, and seven steps sounds like an awful lot, but they all flow very naturally into one another. And as you get into a habit of it, it becomes something that really comes easily as you do it. Now, now the part that is most difficult often is, is the quieting ourselves. That takes a lot of practice. 
But then after that, a lot of people say, well, I get quiet, but then I just don't know what to do with myself. <laughs> Help, what do I do? And so this is where the other traditions start to come into hand, in handy, is the fact that a lot of them offer us some guiding questions, some tools that we can do that can help us actually, okay, what, what should I be asking in that time alone? And here's a couple that I have found particularly helpful. The first one is a daily preparation and review. Oh, all three are going to come up once. All right. At the beginning of my day, I try and sit down with my calendar and my to-do list and actually say to God, God, what do you want me to do today? <laughs> right? That, that sometimes it's easy to overlook the importance of that, but I, I find that often God will say, well, you forgot about talking to so-and-so who really needs you to talk to them. Or, or Ben, you have this on your list, but it's really not that important. Take that off of there and do something else instead. Right? And I pray a blessing over any of the things that go on in my day that God does affirm. Yes, you're going to do this. Yes, you're going to do this. This is of me. And try and pray a blessing over that. Then at the end of the day, I try and look over what I have done. And to say, God, what should I be grateful for? And let him lead me to gratitude. And then I say, and God, what should I be repentant of? What have I failed in? And try and repent and ask for God's forgiveness in those areas of my life. Very simple, right? Again, what should I do today at the beginning of the day Father, what should I be grateful for and repent of reviewing the day at the end of the day? But this alone of making that practice at the beginning and end, maybe combined with some scripture reading or something of the sort, right, can make for a really powerful discipline to try and root your scheduling and planning in God. And it can really guide what it is that you do. A second practice that I like to engage in, and especially with groups I find is very helpful, is a practice called Lectio Divina. This is stemming right out of that Ignatius of Loyola book. Uh, and it's really using scripture to try and hear God speak into your personal life. And I'm going to ask a couple of people to come grab these and pass them out. This, I have a worksheet here for how to do Lectio Divina. Um, what it comes down to is paying attention to a scripture passage that you're reading. I don't know if you want to pass that out. And, yeah, okay. Randy's hurt his thumb, so I'm not going to make that. <laughs> And just, just pass on a big pile to each. There's lots there. I printed off 70 or something like that. And, and I'd encourage you to take this home and give it a try. You're really just trying to say, what in this scripture passage stands out to me? Why does it stand out to me? And what is it that God wants to say to me through this? It's really the, the heart of what goes on in Lectio Divina. Uh, and, and it can be very powerful when God uses a psalm or a narrative passage to speak to you and to, to show you what he wants for your life in a given situation. And, and I thought given the fact that we have the community sharing time at the beginning of, of each week, maybe if a few of you take this home and practice it, you can come back and report on how the experience was next week. So there's a, there's a bit of a challenge, okay, that, uh, giving you some homework here. <laughs> and uh, last but not least, uh, I find that one of the elements of listening prayer that is really valuable is exploring your emotional wounds and trying to seek healing over things that have gone on in your life. And again, here your starting point is I've noticed something is really eating at me. I'm hurting about something or I'm angry about something or, or something just keeps on coming up that I don't like that I keep on doing and it's not a good or healthy thing for me to be doing. And to simply say, God, I want you to speak into this can bring about great healing. To ask yourself, what in my past makes this experience so painful? What lies am I believing about myself and about God? And God, what's true instead? I'll repeat that. What, what about my past makes this experience so painful? What lies am I believing? And Father, what is true instead? Asking those things when it comes to things that are emotionally painful often can bring about great personal insight and healing. And I find when I turn to God that way, rather than just trying to figure out my own emotions, often he guides me to answers I never would have even expected. Right? So it can be a very powerful experience to go to God with listening prayer in that regard.
So these are the three guiding techniques that I find helpful during the actual listening part of listening prayer, right? So you find a secluded place, you quiet yourself, you invite God to speak, and then you do one of these things, and it can be a very helpful practice to help guide you in listening to God speak. So then how should we respond? We've talked about what Scripture has to teach us about listening prayer, and we've talked about what Christian tradition teaches us in terms of how do we practice this. But how do we respond? And what I want to say first and foremost is it is not a blind leap of faith unlike Indiana Jones. Okay? That's the picture up here. Uh, great, great movie, Last Crusade. And, uh, and he has to step out into an empty cavern trying to walk across something that looks like it's insurpassable and then finds that actually there's a path there that's just invisible to his eyes, right? And and, and sometimes we glorify this idea that, okay, you hear God speak, jump out, do it, just follow as soon as you possibly can. And I've seen a lot of people who have done that and it has led to a train wreck. Sometimes it leads to great things. Not saying that it never works. But a lot of the time, if we just don't bother testing, it leads to people trampling on other people or it leads to them doing things that are foolhardy in their own life and, and then leads them questioning God because of the fact that, that it seems like they acted on what he told them and, and, and he wasn't really doing what was good for them, right? And, and, and I think, really, uh, the problem isn't God. It's the recklessness that we approach it through because we should be incredibly skeptical about our own biases. <laughs> we often think things are from God that are not. And if church history has taught us anything, I think that's probably it, <laughs> is that God's people are fallible like anybody else, <laughs> right? And, and so we need to be very careful about testing. And this is something that Scripture tells us to do very clearly. First uh, John 4, 1 maybe says it's simplest. It just says, test every spirit, <laughs> okay? Everything that comes our way, we need to test. Well, then how do we test? Well, the first test is looking at Scripture and especially what Scripture reveals about God's character. That Scripture reveals who God is and how loving he is and how just he is and how, what his desires are for his people. And, and if anything seems to run against that and not lead to fruitful, godly living, then it's not from God. Simple. <laughs> Period. Right? That, that, that if anything it, that we think we heard from God does not lead us to godly living that's based on his character, if it contradicts that, then it's not from God. And that's the primary test. Uh, So so we need to be very careful with this. Know your scripture. Read it regularly and try and internalize it as much as you can because it gives you a powerful portrait of who God is and will allow you to test, is this the kind of thing that's really from God? And with the the young people that I'm teaching listening prayer, often I actually try and sit down with them and and walk through the first few times that they do listening prayer because of the fact that I want to say, as somebody who has experienced a little bit more of this, sometimes I can help you say, no, that one's not from God. (laughs) Right? And that's a really important thing to be able to do. And this goes to the second layer of testing. Turn to your trusted friends and mentors. Ask them what they think about what you heard from God. And this is especially true the bigger the, the thing that you think you've heard from God. It's one thing if he says, hey, hey, Ben, go make a nice cup of tea for your wife. Okay? I probably can act on that fairly easily. <laughs> right? That, that probably I don't have to risk too much in making that action. But when it comes to, hey, Ben, sell your house and move to Africa probably I need to test that a little more carefully because my wife and daughter will probably be traumatized by this. So I really need to know that it's from God, (laughs) right? 
And so you need to turn to your trusted friends and your mentors or older people who are in your life who maybe can help you test that out. And this partly requires discernment for who are those people. Because there are lots of people who will just tell you they know what God wants for your life. That's not necessarily helpful. You want people who actually are going to take the time to listen carefully and say, here's what I think God is calling you to that might be different than what he's calling me to and really walk alongside you relationally that way. So test first by scripture and looking at God's character. Then secondly, by turning to your trusted friends and mentors. And last, but I think this is the one that we need to be the most careful of, is, is I find if something really is from God, there will be an emotion underpinning all of my other emotions, and that is peace. doesn't mean that always it's on the surface. I, I don't necessarily come to it easily and like, oh yeah, great, God, I'm going to sell my house and move to Africa. Okay, and, and I use that as a silly example. But I have had times in my walk with God where I've had to make pretty radical career decisions based on what I believe God is saying to me. And, and sometimes there was a lot of fear in that. So you, see, you can feel fear, but underlying that fear, when I stop and I feel carefully and I go, what is going on inside of my heart? There's this underlying peace. that's like, God's got this. It's okay. Right? And that can be a, a powerful test that the Holy Spirit is really in this. Now, again, I would say that can be dangerous if that's the only thing you're basing it off of. But if you combine that in with the other two elements, then I think you're really looking for all three of these. That you're receiving affirmation. This is, this is scriptural. It is in line with God's character. You have the trusted people in your life saying, yes, I believe this makes sense. I'm praying about it too. I see that God is leading you in this direction. And that then there is this underlying peace that no matter how scary it might be, you know in your gut, this is what I've got to do. Those things combined can really lead you to a place where you can then take a step of faith. And there will be a step of faith. It's just not going to be a blind leap. And that's really the thing that I want to be careful of here, right? Is that you're not just going about just jumping on any whim that happens to go across your path. There will be a call to action. You will have to eventually say, I'm going to pin myself on this. I'm going to act on it, even though it's scary. But it's something that you've tested carefully and made sure is from God before you go and do that. And that really leads us to a place, I think, where we can grow emotionally and spiritually and get better and better at testing God. The more that we experience his leading, the more we get to hear his voice, the more we begin to actually say, I know what this is like, and so I can walk in this more freely. And this is what Romans 12, 1 and 2 is all about, which says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The more we present ourselves to Christ and say, I will act on faith when you have spoken, and we test things out and we learn to hear what God's voice really feels like, and then we act on it, the more mature we grow and the better we get at that. And it's a skill that over time, you begin to see a lot of fruit in your life, both personally as you grow emotionally and then in your ministry to others because of the fact that you can see that you're really walking in step with him and doing the ministry he has for you. And this ultimately is why we started with this topic of listening prayer. Again, our goal is that everyone here would feel equipped to go and share their faith and to help others outside of the church come or return to faith. We want this for the whole congregation, but I believe it begins with being rooted in our relationship with God. <laughs> that if we are not engaging in this type of formation and prayer, then we probably are not ever going to have a powerful ministry to the world around us. But if we can, if we follow in Christ's footsteps, we take the time to withdraw, to listen, to let God form us, then you will see fruitful ministry springing up all around you. And then we get to talk about what it means to pray for the people around us, which is what we'll do next week. Let's close with a word of prayer.
Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love as demonstrated perfectly in your Son, Jesus Christ, dying on the cross and rising again to extend us eternal life. We recognize everything we do begins with that, your initiative in our lives. And Father, we ask you to to speak, that you would send your Holy Spirit into our midst, and that in our quiet times with you, you would be prompting us and stirring us and speaking to us to guide us so that as a community we can be stronger, more in touch with you, and more prepared to go and to share this good news that we have. In Jesus' name, amen.